0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you all doing? Well, I hope. Yeah, a few, a few sleepy nods. Do you realize this is our last week for 2019 in the Gospel of Mark? We're there. Well, not at the end of Mark, as we're not at the end of Acts as we're not at the end of anything, actually. But, uh, but if we actually... So, and we're not at the end of 2019. That's true, Liz. So miracles can still happen. And we've actually got a few miracles left over from 2018, 17 to 16, that need to happen too. But, hey, there is hope. There is hope. Great to be together um, this morning. Our theme this year was to walk on earth, as we are known in heaven. I don't know if you've heard that or not. If, if that's new to you um, and you thought, oh, oh, I'd like to remember that, we actually have little bookmarks with that theme at the back and you can grab one of those bookmarks and slip it into your Bible. But our, our theme has been, okay, it seems, seems to us from Scripture that God knows something about us that we are still learning. We're trying to understand everything that he understands about who we are. Uh, the most important characteristic about ourselves is how he identifies us not how we identify ourselves i could say many things about myself i could say i'm stuart and i'm and i'm 5 foot 11 that's a lie and and a number of other things whether i believe them whether you believe them is well inconsequential really what does god know about me what does god know about you that's what's really important so if we are to walk as jesus walked if we are to to live as he would have us live here on earth today, we need to understand more and more, how does he view us? What does he say about us? How does he see us? To be able to see ourselves through the eyes of God. That's, that's so, so important. And we, we thought, well, what better way to understand how God views us so that we can walk that out on earth? What better way than to actually look at the gospels? And to actually look at the life of Jesus and and how did he walk on earth as he was known in heaven. Because surely nobody knew themselves better than Jesus and he knew how he was considered in heaven. He knew the love of the Father. He, He knew that and it was reflected in his walk to walk as Jesus walked. That's, that was our aim this year. And I trust that you've been blessed by our series in Mark. Uh, just, we only got up to chapter nine, which actually relative to how we've done on other books is probably pretty impressive and probably has to do with the fact that I was away for most of it. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll, we'll pick that up again in 2019. As for next Sunday and so forth, we're looking forward to, not only as Goodwin was saying, just as we are, we are decorating our homes to prepare for those that we, we may host over Christmas, we want, to, we want to decorate the church property because we're planning on hosting a number of people uh, here at church over Christmas. But I guess there's a sense in you know, over Advent where we are, we are preparing our hearts And we're decorating our hearts with all of the fruit of the Spirit in order to to host host Jesus. And and I trust that that our Advent services are a blessing to you in that regard as well. A number of years ago, um, we used to live in Georgia, Atlanta, working for Operation Mobilization. And and my my actual role was church relations. Um, I think from memory there were some 200,000 Protestant churches in the U.S. that I had to connect with. And, of course, we couldn't do it all, but you would always be attuned to a particular church or relationship that just stood out from the others and try to make yourself available. Uh, through a, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, I had a very, very close connection with um, Bethlehem Baptist in, in Minneapolis, where um, those of you who have heard of it possibly, possibly know John Piper is the pastor there. So, um, on a little bit of a, a, a trip to Minneapolis and the Twin Cities, and visiting a number of number of uh, key leaders there and mission missions and so forth, um, we flew up. And, and On this particular Sunday morning, we were to head out to Bethlehem Baptist, and and the idea was to, you know, of course, uh, attend the service just just there to attend and um, just in, enjoy worshiping with this this little family of believers. And, uh, and then after the service, to connect with this worship pastor, actually, who was, who was the friend we were going to make connection with. So we were sort of negotiating the city, and, and we're on the 95, and I think we had to get on something like the 35 West, and, and I knew that we were close. And in those days, you know, we didn't have mobile phones with maps, and Google Maps was you know, still, to, still to be discovered. And, uh, and so we just had sort of paper maps out that we'd sort of printed off the printer at work, and, and we were sort of guiding ourselves. And, and I remember driving along with my, with my friend, we were going to attend, and, and I remember right over there in the distance, actually, we could see a big, big sign on top of the church Bethlehem Baptist. Now, we were on this, this freeway, and, and we saw it just over there. We think, like, that's, we could almost we could almost throw a stone and hit it, which would be wrong because it's a church, but you but could theoretically, and there it is, and wow. And so we, we drove off, we were looking for an exit, we couldn't find an exit, we had to get off 35 West. And so we took the next exit, and then we got onto this other freeway. We're driving along, and now we're coming around the other side of it. So we said, there it is, there it is, there it is. But we couldn't find another exit for that, and we took another turn, and this went on for about 60 minutes we just took turn after turn after turn and you're not going to believe well how is that possible but often often in the us the freeways and the various exits and so forth are, are, you know they're often referred to as a spaghetti junction it was like just looking at a bowl of of spaghetti and trying to work out which noodle connects connects with which in fact i've got a i got a photo of it dan can you show us on google maps so so there it is I, I mean you could see it bethlehem baptist Church. that's where we needed to be we simply had to get off one of those spaghetti noodles and and actually find our way there. So we actually did pull into the the car park. Thanks, Dan. We actually did pull into the car park um, uh, soon enough that we could actually come in for the closing song. And it was a, that closing song, that was a that was a beauty, that was. I remember that. Actually, it was a very, very special song. Um, they had, they'd been talking about a particular topic and, and a number of people were just pouring to the front um, to respond to Jesus and the elders were praying with them. It was a very, very precious moment, actually. And, and that's all I needed to see to understand the heart of the church. It was very, very special. But, you know, sometimes in the Christian life, we simply, don't we, I, I, I think it's safe to assume that most of us who have put our hand up and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Most of us have that posture of wanting to grow, don't we? I mean, I assume that as, as pastor. I, I, I believe that. That is true of most of us in the church. We want to grow. We want to be more like Jesus. I, I rarely meet somebody at the door. Welcome. How are you today? Oh, very good. Try not to be like Jesus. I, I've never heard that. Not in my, in my 10 years here. I've never heard that. So my assumption is that all of us are trying to, with God's help, get from A to B. We all, we all want to grow to be more like Jesus. We're wanting to get from A to B. But sometimes the Christian walk is about as confusing as a bowl of spaghetti. How do we get from A to B? The good news is we are not the first to consider such things to be sometimes complex. The disciples of Jesus had that same problem. They too sometimes thought oh i know how this is going to work i know this how this is going to pan out i know what this looks like i know how to get from a to b and then surprise to surprise they would find that this is this is is different a route or path as as it is looking at a noodles in a bowl of spaghetti so let's have a look at our passage today and see what might have um, caused the the disciples close to jesus at this time having spent considerable time with him what may have caused them just a a tad of confusion we're going to as our last passage for 2018 look at mark chapter 9 and we're going to read from verses 30 down to 37 mark chapter 9 verses 30 to 37 They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child to he placed among them, Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we delve into your word again, that we won't bring our interpretation to the text. But by your Holy Spirit, we will allow you to use your word, this text now, to interpret things in our lives that you want to shed light on in order to help us better get from A to B, from where we are now to where you want us to be. That we pray more and more we may understand who we are in heaven, so that we may walk that out on earth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Well, the first part of this this little little section here is this very very private intimate little time that jesus has with the disciples just to teach them he didn't want anyone else to know where they were just at this current moment it'd be pretty special wouldn't it wouldn't you love to have been with the disciples just for that that little intimate time of teaching with jesus coming away with him but then he says something quite confounding he says something that actually actually is a little bit of a stumbling block in their thinking basically tells them that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of of other men. Cruel men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And they know that they should know what this means. And they're a little bit afraid to kind of query Jesus on this again. Why? Because he would get angry? No, but they're supposed to get it, but they don't get it. And so they just kind of let it pass, hoping that maybe they can clarify it with one another later on and, and so forth. But essentially, Jesus is outlying here a fundamental truth that he understood. And that was was this. The path to glory is always via the way of suffering. Jesus understood that. They could not get their heads around it, not at this moment. But they were starting, perhaps, to, to understand there is a principle here out of their grasp, out of reach at the moment, but a principle here that they need to understand, and it was difficult to understand. And the reality is, even today, we find it difficult to understand, don't we? Why? Why does it have to be that way? We have actually written in our vision statement as a church that, that we want to glorify God. Surely, it can be done more easily than via... The path of suffering. Stuart made it sound so simple. Uh, we like the way that he put it. You know, God will get glory as we live fruitful lives, and and that'll just be the natural result of abiding. Well, that kind of sounds simple, doesn't it? And that sounds easy enough. That doesn't sound too difficult. But what if that abiding is actually forged out of suffering? Dang. Well, that that's that's a little more difficult what if the what if the fruit that eternal fruit fruit that lasts can only come yes out of abiding but abiding with jesus in the midst of suffering what if that's the case what if as we are connected like a branch to a vine that vine lives in a period of drought they're just they're just Doesn't seem to be enough water and enough external things to, to be able to produce what needs to be produced in this life. Circumstances around us, frankly speaking, are not great. And the only way to survive, the only way that fruit will come is that connectivity with Jesus Christ himself. The path to glory is through the way of suffering. And Jesus makes it, makes it clear here. He understood it. Obedience to the Father was, was paramount. Generally speaking, when it comes to pain and difficulty and challenges in our life, when it comes to any situation where the result might not be what we wanted, and some may even feel today that... <laughs> that the state election that just went was, was not what they were praying for. That is not what we as, as Christians were particularly wanting. Although we may add to that, is it ever? I don't know. But it could be in our families, it could be in our personal walk, it could be, it could be in our connections with, at the, the local school and with other parents. It, it could be with our neighbours. It could be in so many many areas. Life is painful, and it's just not what we expected. What do we make of that? Well, generally speaking, if if God doesn't, when it comes to a painful situation, if God doesn't remove it, frankly, it's because he wants to use it. If we have prayed and prayed and prayed for something to go away, and it hasn't gone away, I think it's safe to assume, okay, God wants to use this. How do you want to use this God? Jesus points out to the disciples the path to glory is through a very, very necessary suffering. But it will result in what God ultimately wants. Now, this is a difficult teaching. (coughs) She's just the best wife. I'll try and mute the coughing here. This is a difficult teaching. So perhaps it's not surprising that as they leave that area and and head to Capernaum, as they're walking along, the disciples start to discuss this very issue amongst one another. What could this mean? Why is the path to glory that way? And it seems that, and you can kind of picture this, can't you? that as they're walking along there are different groups and maybe there are some walking a little bit closer to Jesus and so forth. But those who are dropping back or those who have kind of moved ahead are, are having this other discussion. And it seems to be all about who is the greatest. We, we read this here as they came to Capernaum. When he's finally in the house, Jesus decides to find out what it was thanks what it was that they had been discussing amongst themselves. Sorry, what were you arguing about on, on the road? Jesus asks them. And they kept quiet, a little embarrassed at this moment. Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Jesus knew this, and, and so now he, he sets a little illustration right before them sitting down he calls the 12 and he says you know anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and indeed the servant of all taking a little child he placed the child among them and then taking the child in his arms he says whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me does not just welcome me but the one who sent me the heavenly." Heavenly Father. One of the problems here is perhaps how we understand greatness. Um, notice very, very interestingly, that Jesus says, Anyone who wants to be first, anyone who wants to be great, Jesus actually doesn't per se condemn greatness or even glory itself but they must understand the nature of true greatness and what it means to truly be glorified. Jesus shifts the discussion and and at first he, he really addresses this issue. In any discussion about greatness it seems that more often than not, left to our own devices, we will always aim too low. When we talk about greatness and when we think about greatness, we will do so by comparing ourselves to others. Jesus is saying, that's pointless. (laughs) That won't get you anywhere. You're aiming far too low. If you want to talk about greatness, don't compare yourselves to others. Compare yourself to God. The problem with comparing ourselves to others is, well, there's many problems. Firstly, let me just by way of application say, when we we humanly speaking talk about greatness and we do so by comparing ourselves to others, the very first thing that happens is it actually erodes our own contentment. I remember a couple of years ago, we would take our staff interns with us to Operation Joshua in Greece. And uh, somewhere in sort of early on in the internship, we would, we would actually let all the interns know, actually, we, we want you to understand, so that you can understand local mission, we want you to understand global mission, so that you can understand if ministering effectively here in Australia. We want you to, by way of contrast, have had an experience of ministering overseas. So we're going to take you to Greece, to Operation Joshua. You need to find your own way there. So on a, on a whiteboard in a, in a particular session, you know, we would just give them some rough details. You know, Here are some ways to book your trip and so forth. And I see, see Matt Wickstead there. And, and I, remember, I remember Matt, he was engaged. There's a competitive streak to Matt and you know, getting a cheap airfare. I mean, he was, he was all there. And I, I was just showing them a couple of ways that you can do this by breaking your journey in an Asian hub. You can actually book two fares and get a cheaper deal and so forth. And anyway, after that, left it with them. And I remember a couple of the interns, you know, quickly trying to nail this down. And, and they got some, got some really, really good airfares. And I was, I was kind of thinking, oh, well done. You've, you've saved quite a few hundred dollars there. That's excellent. But I was a little bit concerned, to be quite honest, because Matt and... Um, was, was really leaving his ticket booking quite late. And I was thinking, oh, Matty, I'd be, uh, I'd be trying to nail that down. And I, I didn't know what was going in, on in his head or why he was leaving it. But he, you can ask him later and he can tell you. But I remember getting into, it may have been as late as April. I can't remember, but it was, it was by my call, it was a little bit late to be booking this ticket. And all of a sudden, he's, he's, on, he's on the internet and he says, Hey, Stuart, have you ever heard of Swiss Air? And I said, yeah, I think a pretty good airline. I said, why? He said, got this amazing deal. Got this amazing deal out of Singapore, $800 return. I said, Matt, that's an incredible deal. And I remember him looking into it to kind of find out, yeah, but these things never work, do they? The dates and so forth. And he's still asking, you know, Swiss Airline, a good... I think, hey, they produce knives and chocolate and cheese and... Tennis champions. I mean their airline's gotta be good, right? You just uh what what bad thing could come out of of Switzerland? And um so anyway, Matt pursued this and he finally got this amazing ticket, this amazing price. Do you know when I was looking at my ticket after that? Contentment ends where comparison begins. (laughs) I used to be happy with my ticket. I used to be happy with my price. All of a sudden, Matt swooped in and he is flying Swiss. I was flying some, some airline where I think he just stood and held on to a handle or something. <laughs> problem, when we're thinking about greatness, the problem with comparing ourselves to others is contentment ends where comparison begins. Comparing ourselves to others will firstly erode our contentment. Secondly, comparing ourselves with others is going to hurt others. It's going to hurt them. Uh, Some of you may have heard the name Alan Hirsch. I was having a... We're not great friends, but we we met on a couple of occasions. And I remember having a chat with him once because both of us have actually lived in the US. And as he was flying back into Melbourne, he had had this just feeling, you know, he said a lot of A lot of people ask me in Australia, hey, um, I bet it's good to be home in Australia, huh? You know, (laughs) out of the US of A. And uh, Alan shared with me, as somebody else who had lived in the US, he actually shared with me, he said, I don't know what to say because, quite honestly, I fly back into Melbourne and sometimes I feel like I'm flying into just a, I don't know, just a, a, a darkness, spiritually speaking. He says, actually, when I'm in the US, I don't actually always... Necessarily feel that. It is saying, you know, people just assume that, hey, Australia is so great, huh? And he said, I honestly, I just don't find that. And I said, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Uh, our, our time in the US at times was difficult, but there's so much that we just give give thanks to God for. It was there were some special special highlights and memories for our family of our time back there, and. And, and for me, because I really, really wanted to serve God overseas, it was difficult coming home. And we got onto this chat about just culture and our egalitarian nature here in Australia and the tall poppy syndrome. And Alan actually said, you know what, I think it's worse than tall poppies, just cutting everybody else down so that they're at the same level. I think it's more sometimes like crabs in a bucket. I don't know if that means anything to you but crabs in a bucket will just crawl over each other until they can finally get to the get to the top and eventually everybody loses. There are parts to our Australian culture that sometimes need to be need to be brought into the light of scripture and and the way that the way that the Bible would reflect on them. Not everything in our culture is great and that tall poppy syndrome or all the crabs in a bucket that pulling down one another constantly we might feel like i'm not trying to be great but guess what as we pull others down as we play those sorts of games and indulge that kind of a chatter unfortunately the result is nobody wins everybody loses everybody does Comparing ourselves with others erodes contentment. It hurts others so that there are no winners. And then lastly, ultimately, and this perhaps is the most important one, because it deals with your soul. It entraps us. Um, You've probably heard this this story. It's, It's centuries old. There is some very, very old footage, actually, of this in Africa of people capturing a monkey. And a monkey trap is a very, very simple thing. There are, there are all sorts of monkey traps, but the easiest of all is to grab a large seed pot with a, with a hole in it just so that a monkey can reach into and then to place a bait of something, whether it be a peanut or whatever it might be, to place some sort of a bait. Tie the seed pod to a tree, to a branch, and, and put the bait in the seed pod. So the monkey reaches into the seed pod to, to grab the seed, that desire to hang on to what it's got actually overrides its instinct to flee when a person comes to entrap it. You've probably heard the story many, many times, and you can actually watch this happening, but... But the monkey just cannot let go. It cannot do the math. It is better to let go and and be free to, you know, to 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 live another day than it is to actually be trapped and and be, be caught by these people coming to, you know, make me a pet or maybe worse. When we compare ourselves to others, we're essentially trying to build a reputation for ourselves. But it is a trap. Hanging on to a reputra- reputation entraps us in self righteousness. Essentially, what we have fallen prey to doing is in building ourselves up, in justifying ourselves compared to others, we begin this spiral of defensiveness and so forth that says, No, I'm, I actually am okay. No, I was actually right. No, I was actually doing the right thing. And, and as we do that, guess what? We find ourselves more and more and more falling into a, a trap of self-righteousness. And we're there because we're trying to hang on to our reputations. We're trying to build ourselves up. We're trying to be great. It's a trap. And the only way out of that is to actually release our reputation and, and to release like Paul loved to do so often in his letters, everything that, humanly speaking, might make him attractive to other people. Whether it be his, his Jewishness, whether it be being a Roman citizen, whether it be all that he's done, his good works for God, whatever it might be, being a Pharisee and a teacher. And, and, he, and he indulges a little bit of this foolish talk for a little while, but then ultimately... He points out that it is all foolishness. There is only one ground of justification. Paul would say, I'm the greatest of all sinners. But I can say that because I know I'm grounded firmly on the blood of Jesus Christ, which alone justifies me, which alone cleanses me, which is my only ground of righteousness or right standing with God. Comparing ourselves with others can erode contentment. It hurts other people, but ultimately it entraps ourselves. It entraps our souls, and it's a dangerous thing. So Jesus says, don't aim so low. Don't compare yourself with others. Don't go there. It won't end well. Instead, aim higher. Aim higher. And then taking a little child, he Sets an example. It's a beautiful, a beautiful little moment. You can imagine him in the, again, in the privacy of that home, calling all the disciples around, and maybe there was a little bit of a hush as they all sat around, and oh, I wonder what he's got to say. Maybe there was a little bit of nervousness because they knew he's going, I think he may be going to address what we were chatting about on the road there. Maybe there was a little bit of, Guilty consciences in that room feeling like we probably shouldn't have chatted that way. They're still trying to nut out this strange teaching of Jesus, this path from A to B to grow to be more like him. What is this path to glory, this path to greatness? And in verses 35, Jesus says, Sitting down, he caught a little child and then he took that child in his arms. You can imagine him. And he says, Whoever welcomes one of these little children, it's like welcoming me, but not just me. Whoever welcomes me actually welcomes the one who sent me, my heavenly Father. Later on in in chapter 10, we have another passage involving a child, and you're probably familiar with that. And in that passage, Jesus is using the child as an illustration or an example of, of simple faith, the posture that God wants if you want to come to him. But in this instance, he's not. He's using the child as an illustration or an example of powerlessness. Now, this isn't immediately apparent to us, the way in which Jesus here is is taking this little child and saying, here is a weak one, here is a vulnerable one, because we don't necessarily think about children in that way. Why not? Well, in, in Western culture, children... Children now have the luxury of being elevated to a place of prominence, a place where we need to protect them and look after them. They are important. And and why is that? Well, that actually goes back to the foundations of Western society and and our Judeo-Christian beliefs, Uh, passages like this, which actually elevate the importance of a child. And this is just a a little bit of a a quick sidetrack. But if I may, I guess sometimes we wonder, don't we, when the church or when people in places of Christian leadership betray the trust of a little child, in what way is that worse than, say, if a teacher or a doctor or or anyone who's not a Christian also betrays the trust of a little child? It's a good question. But there is a difference. And the difference is this. We in the church actually hold to the teachings of Jesus. We in the church understand the vulnerability and the weakness of children and advocate for them, and rightly so, and have done for centuries, and rightly so. So that their place in society, the weak ones, whether that be, whether that be children or the disabled or the marginalised in, in any number of ways. It is we in the church who should be those who are advocating for the vulnerable and the weak so that when we betray their trust, yes, there is a sense in which it is more severe. And so I do think, and this is a good moment, It is right for us, as a church, and even me as the lead pastor, the representative of the Vine Baptist Church, to apologize on behalf of all those we have hurt. Because, frankly, it's contrary to Scripture. It really is. That is not the way of Jesus. And when we have fallen short of that, we have sinned. And we have fallen short of a high calling that we have today's dedication was one more reminder of how we as a church must commit ourselves to advocating for the weak and the vulnerable, for protecting the little ones and making sure that they have a safe place in which they can grow and be nurtured in their faith. And it was lovely once again as a fellowship to commit ourselves to that very task and and thank you, Sarah, and Ethan, just so happens today, the dedication of your little boy, it gave us just such an opportunity to do so. So thank you, a lovely, a lovely living illustration of what we should be doing as a church. So Jesus uses just that very thing as an example to the disciples. And he says, when you welcome these little ones, these vulnerable ones, these weak ones, it's like welcoming me, not just me, the one who sent me, my Father. Jesus here is saying, look after the powerless, look after those who in society cannot necessarily defend themselves. Essentially, Jesus is saying here, to be great, one must serve. And when you serve the very least, it's like serving God himself. I remember getting a house ready for a returning missionary family on one occasion. We were a number of people who were doing it, and and the house needed a little bit of a clean-up and so forth. But I remember the way our our hearts and minds were working as we got the place ready for them. Um, we were outside cleaning the paths, and and as people were cleaning the paths and so forth, they were picturing, oh, they're going to love this when they when they drive in, they're going to see that the garden's looking good. And, and here, right at the outset, they're going to see that the house is prepared for them. And, and others dived into the kitchen, you know, just cleaning the pots and pans and making it sparkling clean because they were coming from a situation where they probably hadn't seen such a nice kitchen in a long time. And they were stocking the pantry of all sorts of things that they thought this missionary family would like. And... You know, just thinking about the kids, they were putting special things there for the kids. And thinking about the parents, they were putting some special things there for the parents. And thinking about the fact that they were on a, a pretty limited sort of a salary, they were putting some extra special things into that pantry that would just delight their hearts. And then there were others who were cleaning up and vacuuming the living room and, and just getting it so and putting some fresh flowers there so that when the family sat down, they would just love sitting there and just feel loved and appreciated. And there were others who had, who had gone into the various bedrooms and were putting, making the beds and putting treats on the pillows for the, for the kids. And then others in the master, master bedroom, some, some chocolates on the pillows and were just thinking about... That precious missionary family when they came home and so tired and so forth, and the good night's sleep that they would they would really, really need, and just a, a welcome place to, to rest. And I guess as we were involved in that task, one of the things that occurred to me was was that we could all picture in some ways as we as we did this act of service, as we prepared this space we were anticipating the way that it would, it would bless the hearts of the missionaries. And Jesus seems to be saying that taking that little child, you know, when you, when you embrace, when you welcome, when you receive these little ones, you're actually ministering to the very heart of God himself. When you picture and anticipate the blessing that is theirs, it's like blessing the very heart of God. It's like preparing a bed for God. It's like putting chocolates on God's pillow. It's like preparing God's lounge room and putting flowers in his lounge room. It's like actually filling the pantry with with all sorts of things that, oh, we know that God's good at banquets and he'll be doing a fantastic one, but here's something that he'd love to have in, in his next banquet. And then even the very pathway into the house, may God, may it bless your heart. As we bless these missionaries, we're really wanting to ultimately bless you. Jesus says, as you bless this little child, you are blessing God the Father. It's it's like doing it to him himself. Rob Coyle, who um, has often spent time visiting with us and ministering to us, says the measure of love in any group or community is how they care for and esteem the least. It's a good quote, isn't it? That's a good metric, I think, for all of us. The measure of love in any group or community is how they care for and esteem the the least very early on i guess i was a youth leader at diamond valley baptist ah maybe 17 maybe 18 years of age we had this special youth leaders retreat and and the guest speaker at the at the time i didn't know him that well but he was just starting to be a part of our church Many of you actually know him quite well now. His name is David Cummings. At the time, he was simply introduced as he's the Australian director of Wycliffe Bible Translators and the international president of Wycliffe Bible Translators. And, and he was, you know, somebody whose leadership credentials were right up there. So as a young leader, I I remember really looking forward to this leadership retreat. Somebody had said a couple of times how did we get him to come and speak on our youth leaders retreat? Like, there's 20, 30 of us. Like, how did that happen? He's an international speaker. And and so it was with quite some excitement that I was looking forward to, to meeting him and hearing from him and learning from him. And probably like a lot of people, I, I had hoped. You know, I was, I was sort of a leader of a team and so forth, and I had probably hoped to actually be able to you know, as an up-and-coming leader in the youth ministry, get some time with him, you know, just, you know, side by side and just, I don't know, have him speak into my life and, and just glean any possible insight I possibly could. But I noticed a pattern that after he had spoken on the Friday night and then there was a couple of sessions on the Saturday morning, there was one on Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Sunday morning, there were lots of opportunities to watch him in action and to listen to his teaching, but after he had spoken, there'd be a, there'd be a break, and uh, the first thing I would do in the break is I'd go and get a cup of coffee, and, and I'd have my cup of coffee, and I'd look around to kind of see, okay, where's David? I'd, I'd love to just chat with him about such and such. I'd love to, and I couldn't find him. And this happened multiple times. Eventually, I would locate him way off back in the corner of the dining room. Sitting usually with somebody who was kind of new to the group, kind of awkward, kind of not necessarily on the, on the in, you know, as far as those things go, but somebody who was a little bit of a loner, a little bit, I don't know, just, just on the outskirts of, of the group dynamics, and, and he'd be sitting over there with them, just having a one-on-one with them, speaking to them like they were the only person in the entire world. So I remember thinking, ha, okay, I'll grab him after the next session. Over the entire weekend, that was the pattern. He would finish his teaching session. Where would you find him? You would find him. He had had zeroed in on somebody that he just wanted to bless their heart. The little children. So I actually did learn, not from having one-on-one time with David on that occasion, but I actually did learn a lot from following his example. That to be great in the kingdom of God means to be a servant. And as we serve the very least, it's like serving God himself. That'd be a beautiful mark, wouldn't it, of our church community? I actually think it already is, at least to some degree. But we could probably aspire to be even greater in that, couldn't we? And so perhaps as we finish off this series in Mark and and try to understand how to walk on earth as we are known in heaven, to look out for one another, to look out for the very least, to look out for those who in some way or another, maybe not all the time, but maybe just this week, feel just a little bit weak, a little bit alone, a little bit vulnerable, and to embrace them, to welcome them, and to love them. And as we do that, we're actually doing that to God Himself. Let's pray. Would you like to stand with me? Because I think there's a sense in which when we take this lesson with us, we do so as a community. And perhaps by standing together, we can can give expression to the fact that we are standing as one body, learning this lesson and this principle. But we are standing together in this as well. And the idea is that we might be looking out for one another, understanding that each of us on a given day can feel like the least. Let's pray. What a wonderful example you have, have given us here in Scripture, Lord Jesus. We we thank you so much for it. We thank you for one another. And for a whole variety of circumstances, at different times, each of us, I think, can feel a little bit like a child (laughs) wanting to play drums, (laughs) actually just feeling a little bit weak, a little bit lost, a little bit forgotten, a little bit overlooked a little bit vulnerable in many ways. Would you teach each of us, Heavenly Father, to look out for one another? To look for those who, in a given moment, are just feeling a little bit weak, a little bit vulnerable, and would we be quick to embrace, quick to love, quick to exhort, quick to lift up and edify, quick to bless? And, of course, Heavenly Father, we don't want to miss the very obvious application in all of this and that is once more to be that kind of church family that looks after the children. May you continue to keep the Vine Baptist a safe place for the little ones. Keep us ever vigilant, ever protective, ever loving in our care and our nurture of the little ones. May we help the parents who are struggling sometimes and the families striving to, to be all that you have called them to be, but sometimes feeling inadequate and tired and, and just a little overwhelmed, would we look out for those as well? Would we look, look out for those, Father, whose life circumstances means that they can often feel a little bit lonely, a little bit isolated, a little bit like there's no special someone in their life and for that reason can, can feel also a little bit vulnerable and father also in our family are, are those in the midst of business to the busy part of life children and work and all sorts of things and and sometimes feel that there's no time in a given day to actually stop and have a have a real deep conversation and they can feel lost in the busyness And then, Father, there are the elders of the church that you have placed amongst us. So much wisdom, so much so much grace and testimony to tap into, but they can also feel rather weak and vulnerable at times. Frail bodies that don't quite do what they used to do. And, and as the physical body, that outer shell, becomes more, more difficult, and less reliable, that too can lead to a, a kind of isolation as well. So in different ways, Father, at different stages of life, we can all feel like we need just a special touch from you. May we as a church be your hands and your feet. May we do your bidding in this regard, knowing That as we serve one another, we are indeed serving you. And all the Lord's people said, Amen.